2: Hi hey there! Thanks for joining me once again on the Science and Magic, where we combine the science and magic of today's leading topics to co-create new solutions and hopefully promote evolutionary thinking. I'm your host Guadalupeca. This hour, we'll be exploring a dream come true. We spend one third of our lives doing something few think about and even fewer understand: sleep and dream. There are numerous types of dreams. Some dreams process daily events we haven't had the time or inclination to work through while awake. In some, we communicate with people in our lives or those that have crossed. Others warn us when we're falling out of balance to the detriment of our health and well-being. Yet others bring wisdom and information we cannot access during our waking hours. There are daydreams, nightdreams, shamanic dreams. But the most fascinating, whether they're shamanic or not, are those that are prophetic. How can we tell one dream from another? How can we decode the valuable information offered by our dreams? How can we discern if they predict the future in time for it to be useful? Why do we dream at all? Our guest this hour may very well be able to unveil some of these mysteries and more. With us is Lloyd Orbach, Director of the Office of Paranormal Investigations and President of the Forever Family Foundation. For close to 40 years, Lloyd has focused on parapsychological education and field investigation, He's the author of Psychic Dreaming, Mind Over Matter, his recently reprinted first book ESP Hauntings and Poltergeists, A Parapsychologist Handbooks, and nine others. His media t- appearances on TV, radio, podcast, and in print number in the thousands, including ESPN's Sports Center, ABC's The View, Oprah, and Larry King Live. He works as a parapsychologist, professional mentalist, psychic entertainer, and public speaking and media social media skills coach. His website, mindreader.com. Lloyd, thanks so much for joining us on the Science of Magic.
3: Thank you, Guilda. Nice to be here.
2: <laughs> so what does parapsychology have to do with dreams?
3: Well, you know, not not specifically, but psychic experience, the, the ability for people to pull information without the use of the normal senses. Appears throughout our lives throughout all states of our consciousness and it just happens that the dream state Is one of the most fertile for certain types of psychic experiences to pop in
2: You know uh, shamanism specializes in dreams, right? That that's what they do is they create an interactive dream at will through by using ritual and procedures So that they can access the dream state where they can get this information as well Is this the same kind of thing we're talking about?
3: Well, uh, it's a little bit different than that because this actually happens to people on a normal basis. This is something we experience throughout our lives. And, of course, the shamanic traditions also include pulling into other altered states of consciousness besides the dream state. But the fact is that most of us, because of our education, because of our culture, because of our belief systems, are kind of restricted in what we can do psychically. We have found in parapsychology that belief is the major restrictor And it's also the major energizer for psychic experience and psychic abilities. So in the dream state, there are no rules. And consequently, people can actually be more psychic without having to find that those rules that we're believing in kind of get in the way.
2: Well, you know, we we all dream, (laughs) but we haven't been using our dreams. So uh, how, how do you how do you get there from here?
3: Well, you know, of course, not everybody remembers their dreams. I have people who swear up and down that they never dream at all, which is not really physiologically possible. It's just they don't remember their dreams. And the first step is really learning to remember your dreams, to have dream recall. And it's an interesting thing that when you have an intention to remember your dreams and then you follow that up with a little bit of recording, whether it's writing it down or telling someone right away or speaking it into a recorder of some kind, you immediately reinforce the idea of remembering your dreams, and you'll start to remember more and more. The problem is that we tend to remember the dreams that we had just before we woke up, so that last sleep cycle, and we go through several cycles of sleep where we dream different times throughout the night, and it's only those dreams that wake us up in the middle of the night that we can remember from that time period. But as you learn to remember, as you really... We're going to
2: have to pick... Pick up on how to remember our dreams okay. on the other side of a quick break here. Lloyd and I will return shortly, so don't go away. You're listening to The Science of Magic. Our current episodes are aired daily on the X Zone Broadcast Network, XZBN.net. In service to our listeners, prior innovative episodes can always be accessed on our website, TheScienceOfMagic.net. The Science of Magic is produced by Realmar Media Company.
5: Help us help a veteran make it through the night.
2: Welcome back. This is the Science of Magic. We're dedicated to unification and evolution of consciousness. I'm your host, Gwilda Wiecka. Our guest this hour is author and director of the Office of Paranormal Investigations, Lloyd Orbuck. His website, mindreader.com. Lloyd, we were just working with how to remember your dreams, and that's the same thing we run into in shamanism, is you can access the information, but you have to do something to anchor it in ordinary reality. How do you do it?
3: Well, the best way, really, again, is to just write it down or record it in some way. It's really interesting that everybody's experienced waking up in the middle of the night or in the first thing in the morning and having a dream, just sitting there. And then it starts petering away over the next 30 seconds to a minute. But if you start immediately going back over it, if you start telling someone, if you start writing it down, it gets fixed in your mind and more detail can even come out. So that's really the best way. And that intention, that idea that I want to remember my dreams reinforces it over and over again. So as you do it even a little bit, it's going to help you remember quite a lot.
2: Yeah, I, I have that experience. I'll um, be writing a book or or whatever, and I'll go to bed at night with the intention of, well, I need this next chapter. I need some information on this, mm-hmm. and I better have pencil and paper with me because stuff will come through. I'll go, I'm not going to forget that. But then, of course, I do if I don't jot it down. But just two words, and the whole thing comes back.
3: That's right. That's right. And And the idea of intending to do that before you even go to sleep is a big part of it. So you want to intend that you remember your dreams. And actually you mentioned the idea of trying to come up with something for a chapter. That's dream incubation. The idea that we give ourselves something to sleep on and it's been around for thousands of years. People have been doing this since the ancient Egyptians.
2: (laughs) Yeah. I just go sleep on it. Right. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Yeah. So what kind all kinds of dreams are there?
3: Well, you know, the, the, the different categories of dreams are really interesting because people play with them quite a bit in the dream center, I guess of the dream world, you want to call it that the dream field. Um, but when we talk about psychic dreams, we're really talking about how psychic ability kind of comes through in its different forms. So we have, of course, shared dreams, people, two people go to sleep at the same time, and they wake up and they talk to each other the next day, maybe it's spouses, maybe it's people who are just friends, and it turns out they have the exact same dream. Those are Mm -hmm. telepathic dreams. Mutual dreaming is not an uncommon thing. We have people who dream about world events or just even about things in their lives real time. So things that are going on right now or things they didn't know about that may have happened the day before. And those kind of fall into the clairvoyance category or remote viewing to some extent. And probably the most common are the precognitive dreams, the ones that people dream about things that happen in the future, things that are going to happen. So those are more, actually more common than the other ones.
2: And that's, that's interesting. Is that why we get that feeling of deja vu?
3: when something one, starts to happen. Yeah. You know, it's interesting. That's one of, let's see, I'm trying to think it's 50 different explanations now, according to the <laughs> leading expert on deja vu, Vernon Neppy up in Seattle. Um, the idea that we, we're in a situation, it feels really familiar. And for some people, we recognize that we had a dream about this very situation. And if you're lucky, you actually have the dream rushing back and you actually know what's going to happen for the next few seconds.
2: Yeah, it's 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 very uncanny. I have that quite a bit. Now, you know, one thing that I've always wrestled with is, okay, so we have these lovely precognitive dreams, but we don't recognize them until they're happening, and it's too late to do anything about it. Is there a way to work more accurately with them?
3: Well, you know, there's two issues here. One is the precognition, psychic experience, psychic information. Very often, is not fully uh, comprehensive. So we sometimes only get partial information anyway, and. It's not always going to be, If even if you recognize this is precognitive, you may not be able to do anything about it. Uh, but we can certainly increase our dream recall. We can certainly have that dream incubation, that intention to go to sleep and get more information. So if you have a dream that you think is about the future, the next night, what you want to do is go to sleep. And as you're going to sleep, say, I want to get more information. I want to fill in the blanks for this and I want to remember it better. And you might actually get additional information about that.
4: Do
2: you feel that if once you do get additional information, if if you are able to ascertain some uh, you know landscape that things mm-hmm. are going to happen in, can you pick your sweet spot within that? Can you change outcome?
3: You definitely can change outcome, but we have a paradox in parapsychology called the intervention paradox. Um, I'll give you an example. One of the dreams that is in my book that someone wrote to me was that when she was 17, she had a very strong dream that a friend of hers was going to drive to Reno that weekend and get into a terrible accident and possibly die. So she told her friend and she, her friend said, yes, I'm going to Reno, but I'm going to go anyway. I mean, that, that was just a dream is what her friend told her. It turned out a friend didn't go. Now, because the friend didn't go, we don't know if that was a just simply a dream that the woman just was... Uh, worried about her friend, although she didn't know she was going to Reno, or if this was truly a dream of of a possible future, and by not going to Reno, she changed the outcome. So we don't know where the information exactly came from, but the future, at least of that dream, was changed. And this is a common thing for us, that you can have a dream, change the outcome, and then the event never happens, so you don't know if it really would have happened anyway, which causes its own form of confusion.
2: Exactly, exactly. You know, and once again, you know, shaman, they intentionally go into a dream state to access future information mm-hmm. and find find the sweet spot within it. And it sounds to me like you're um, suggesting that we can do the same thing through our dreams by directing our dreams.
3: Right. We can. Although, you know, sometimes the, the information is not not enough. Uh, there was a case of a man back in the late 1970s. He was a computer salesman. He called the FAA because he was having recurring dreams about an, a jumbo jet going down at Ch- a Chicago Airport and everybody dying on, on the plane. And he actually had detailed information on what was wrong with the aircraft, but not the airline, not the specific date. And he knew approximately the time and the weather conditions, but that was pretty common for the fall of that year. So the FAA, the person at the FAA took him seriously because he had, and when they checked him out, he had no aeronautics background, but the fault that they, that he described was deep inside the aircraft, which would have taken the the plane out for 24 hours to be checked for. And they couldn't do that to the, the, so many dozens and dozens of jumbo jets that were flying in and out of O'Hare for all the airlines. And the event actually happened. So he was missing Mm. some vital piece of information to prevent that event from happening. But very clearly, he got information about that event.
2: Wow. Well, did he have any kind of connection, a personal connection, or was it just in general?
3: It's just in general. You know, that's the thing is people have precognitive dreams. We hear about them all the time, about a major disaster about to happen, about an earthquake, about a tsunami, about something else. And, of course, you can't get out of the way of a major disaster. Well, you can't stop a major disaster. You can get out of its way. Right. Uh, But he didn't really have any sort of connection. A lot of psychic information seems to come from very emotional events. And what I mean by that is that people react to certain events very emotionally. And when there's a big disaster, there's an outcry of emotion. And that seems to have ripple effects going back into the past.
2: Yeah, back and forward in time, doesn't it? Right. And that makes you wonder about time itself, right?
3: Well, you know, it's always funny when people tell me you can't predict the future. I, I ask them to tell me what the physics of time is because that's still up in the air, as far as physicists are concerned.
2: Right, right. Where, where does dream? Where do dream? Where, where does dream information come from?
3: I guess it depends on the specific dream. Uh, you know, a lot of it comes just normal dream information comes from what's in our unconscious. Well, let's face it: we read and see and are exposed to a ton of information from the time we're born to when you have that dream, uh, there are dreams where people think they swear they have to do with past lives. It's the same thing with past life regression that, that really are not about past lives. There, there's information in those dreams that can be, if you're really careful and really look, can be traced back to a movie that the person saw when they were five years old, Mm
0: -hmm. Mm -hmm.
3: not to historical fact. So we have all this stuff that's in there. Plus we have an imagination. Plus we undoubtedly access information psychically meaning information in the world around us and very likely we access information from other forms of existence other reality
2: mm. so in our dream state we're less anchored to this particular reality
3: that's not necessarily the case uh, you know if you look at dream interpretation look at dream work most people try to figure out what the symbols of a typical dream happens to be you know, not all dreams are psychic dreams. A lot of dreams actually reflect what's going on for us psychologically, uh, emotionally, and they come through as metaphor, as stories. And you know, from the shamanic storytelling tradition, I think that you can kind of interpret the dreams that way. Mm-hmm. There are there are some really wonderful people in the dream field. Uh, one of them's Gail Delaney here in San Francisco, who, when she's worked with dream groups, she's her method is to have people not describe or not say the name of the the things they saw in their dreams. So if they saw a long, slightly curved, tubular thing that's uh, yellow, don't name it a banana, because as soon as you name it a banana, it's a banana. And, <laughs> right. and by describing it, she says, okay, if you were a Martian, what would that look like? You know, just describe it without naming it. Descri- describe it without categorizing it. You don't know what it is, just describe its features. And that's something we do in parapsychology also, even with the remote viewing work, because as soon as someone labels or names or categorizes the information if there's missing information it gets filled in by the mind and we're wrong so the whole idea here is we may not be accessing other realities we could be accessing our own symbols but the symbols are pot sometimes incomplete or a memory of them is incomplete Mm. you know i understand
2: we dream in low alpha and theta do different kinds of dreams consistently occur in different brave wave states
3: Doesn't seem that way. You know, it's typical that adults don't have nightmares. That's something that kids typically have. But there are some adults that actually still have nightmares. And no one's pinned down like a particular type of dream. Not even the lucid dream state occurs specifically with certain brainwave states. Although it's possible to influence your physiology from within the lucid state based on the research that Stephen LeBurge did over at Stanford University. Uh, You can actually change the rate of of your rapid eye movement, apparently, if you're in a lucid state, and do something to do that.
2: Right, and, you know, again, the shamanic tradition, if you go into... um, the shamanic journey, it drops you down to 7.5 hertz, um, which is mm-hmm. basically that of the planet, and then you slip into theta. Um, but you're conscious. It's a lucid dream, and, and you can change your um, heart rate. You're, you're breathing easily, but yeah. your heart rate actually can be changed. A lot of physiological changes can happen intentionally when you're in that state. Why do you suppose that is?
3: Well, we have an incredible mind-body connection that we're not making use of, because Western <laughs> medical science doesn't think that that's important. <laughs> so, yeah, you know. <laughs> It's, it's a very, very strange thing, uh, considering that most pharmaceuticals, at least until recently, were matched. Uh, the control group were taking a placebo, which had often a real effect, and all you needed was a certain percentage of a placebo effect to put the drug to market. Uh, I mean, the, the placebo effect itself is a mind-body effect. It's the standard by which so much medical research is done, and they have no clue how that works because it's a mind-body effect.
2: It's amazing how we try to separate mind, body, spirit, emotions, Mm
3: -hmm. and Mm -hmm.
2: and then think we have the whole picture, isn't it?
3: Yeah, it it just, we don't have the whole picture. And, you know, I've talked to doctors. um, I've got another book coming out, actually, from Llewellyn in July called Mind Over Matter. And there's a whole chapter on psychic healing. And, you know, the interesting thing about healing is that we heal and harm ourselves quite a bit. And doctors are pretty well aware, even in Western medicine, that a patient who does not want to get better does not get better. We have this effect on our bodies when we're conscious, and we certainly have that effect when we're dreaming as well.
2: And isn't it also an, uh, an issue of belief? If we don't believe yeah. we can be- get better, we don't.
3: That's correct, and that's the whole basis of the placebo effect. Uh, people are actually, uh, it's, there was a study last year, I believe it was, comparing a, an oral placebo, like a pill, like a sugar pill, versus mm-hmm. an injection of saline. Mm-hmm. Um, and they were told, and some of the groups were actually told that it was a placebo, although I don't think they really understood what a placebo was necessarily. And the injectable placebo did better than the pills because we believe that an injection is more powerful in Western medicine than a pill. That's
2: amazing. Just amazing. Well, it's just about that magic moment again. We're going to take another little break. Lloyd and I will return to our discussion on the other side, so don't you go away. We're coming to you through the Exxon Broadcast Network. Don't miss the other fine shows and hosts on xzbn.net. You're listening to The Science of Magic, your resource for creative solutions in a changing world, thescienceofmagic.net. Welcome back. This is the Science of Magic, a place where magic and science come together to promote enlightenment. I'm your host, Gwilda Wiecka. Our guest this hour is author Lloyd Arbrook. His website, mindreader.com. Lloyd, we were getting into different kinds of dreams. We're having fun comparing them to how it works uh, in shamanic dreams. What exactly is psychic dreaming? You, you seem to hold that separate from just a lot of the others.
3: Well, we have dreams overall. And under that, we have various content. I mean, you can talk about nightmares as scary dreams and dreams that deal with your daily life, uh, that deal with kind of the, the day residue. Psychic dreams simply are dreams that connect with reality in a way that brings in information that you could not possibly have known. So as I mentioned earlier in the show, uh, people do share dreams; those are mutual dreams. That's telepathy. We have people who who pick up information about distant events, kind of a remote viewing dream. We have people who pick up information about the future through precognitive dreams. And occasionally, there may be dreams that might support the idea of a past life. Um, but there are also dreams about that allow you to heal yourself. The idea is that psychic information or psychic abilities come through in that particular state of consciousness. That makes it makes it a psychic dream. And the interesting thing is that everyone who has these dreams, uh, when I was interviewing people and getting letters from people and surveys, it, everybody said they knew it was a psychic dream because it felt different. Mm-hmm. That was, mm-hmm. that was it. They couldn't describe necessarily, you know, the dream was like no other I ever had. Um, it felt different. It felt realer than real. All those kinds of descriptors always come through that, indicate that the person subjectively knew that this meant this connected with reality
2: you know my daughter i call her a dreamer (laughs) um she used to do some pretty impossible things while sleepwalking so several times working in total darkness she'd stack the entire living room uh, furniture over six foot high against one wall she's 12 right And then she'd lay out articles from all over the house on the wood floor in an intricate pattern. We couldn't reproduce it. It was so precise. Have you ever heard of such a thing?
3: I have not heard of sleepwalking to that extent. Um, But it's likely that she was using a little bit of psychic ability to kind of maneuver and help help her do everything she needed to do.
2: Yeah, it was pretty phenomenal. Do, are people actually able to do to move objects in their sleep, in their dreams?
3: It's pretty rare, but, but we do have a couple of cases uh, on record of poltergeist agents. You know, poltergeist is a situation where there's a lot of physical activity, usually very chaotic. And it comes from a living person, not from a spirit. Um, and we have a few cases where when the person's dreaming and having a kind of a scary or stressful dream, that things in the room might actually be upset. Yeah.
2: That's amazing. And it takes you back to wondering about, okay, so how much of it are we doing ourselves in our dreams and in our waking? And how much is uh, spirits or ghosts?
3: Yeah, you know, in all the years that I've been doing investigations and all the research that I've done and reading I've done, which the the literature in our field in parapsychology, psychical research goes back to the 1800s, late 1800s. And The early researchers were ghost hunters, essentially. They were doing investigations of apparitions and hauntings and poltergeists and all these things. And it's really interesting that um, in the physical activity type cases, it's pretty rare for an actual entity or or spirit to be doing it. Uh, It's most likely that it's a living person. We do have cases, however, and I've got a couple cases that are still ongoing, uh, where the entity has been seen many times, has interacted with people, whether it's the witnesses, various witnesses, or psychics and mediums, and they can also move objects. And apparently they learned how to do it. it. Apparently when you die, you don't suddenly become psychokinetic. It's something you have to learn. And that's shown in the movie Ghost, actually. There's kind of a nice demonstration of that idea in the movie Ghost.
2: Right. Right. You know, it's um, again, how much do we have to do with what happens in our world before and after death that are, are you know, taken as psychic phenomenon uh, yeah. versus real psychic, what we would normally think of as psychic phenomenon? I think we're more responsible than one might think.
3: Yeah. You know, um, the the psychokinesis research I've done over the years, it's really interesting that we have a nat- natural aversion, apparently, to take personal responsibility. <laughs> I think Amer- I think Americans are actually worse than possibly everybody else in the world at this point. But uh, it, the reality seems to be that we do have an, an influence on things around us. Probably the most common thing for people today is effects on our our various electronics. Uh, mm-hmm. When we're in bad moods, when we're stressed out, you know, things don't work properly. And the research on human machine interaction kind of falls into this. So we, we have this uh, influence on things. And possibly, you know, there could be somebody who could influence all of reality, except that there's this consensus, you know, we're all connected in the force, you might say. And so there's a consensus of what reality is. And it's not as fluid, perhaps, uh, to say that some psychic could actually change the reality that we live in, because there's all these other people who have all agreed unconsciously that this is what reality actually is.
2: Right, so you're looking at the common denominator belief system, and two is greater than the sum of its parts. When you put two together, the agreement is much more powerful. Absolutely. How do you see us being able to work beyond that to expand our capabilities?
3: Well, you know, we set limits on ourselves. Uh, Belief is the big thing, and belief is ingrained in us, especially around psychic functioning, from... Our early childhood, our, our education system tells us it's not real. Science tells us, mainstream science tells us it's not real. Uh, the religions tell us it's either evil or bad or twisted a little bit. Folklore has its own interpretations of things, and what we've seen is that people who can get past their beliefs, often by seeing other people do it, it it's really interesting that when you see someone else do something that seems impossible, it makes it a lot easier for you to do that. And and that's happened throughout history in sports sports performance, athletic performance again and again and again. And there's a lot of kind of comparison, I think, between sports psychology and the psychology of being psychic here.
2: Right, because like in sports, the minute somebody breaks a, a, a speed record, then a yeah. whole bunch of other people follow. right? Oh it, oh, it can be done. Maybe I can That's do it. That's
3: exactly right. Roger Bannister did that in 1954 when the four-minute mile was physiologically impossible.
2: <laughs>
3: <laughs> and then dozens of people have done it. And, uh, you know, today it's a little bit more difficult for athletes because if they're really good performers, they're immediately accused of steroid use.
2: Yeah, you got to love it. <laughs> it has to be the drugs, right? Back to mm-hmm. that. Hey, which, let's which talk, keeps
3: people back? Yeah,
2: let's talk a little bit about remote viewing as a, as a form yeah. of dream, and of course, remote viewing is also a, a shamanic skill. What is actually going on there? Are we
3: uh, bilocating? You know, there there's two ways to look at this, and I think I've worked with a number of psychics, and I know a number of the remote viewers from the Stargate program, the U.S. government Stargate program. I actually, co-wrote a book about the U.S. and Russian programs called ESP wars and remote viewers tend to know the difference between picking up, bringing information in and having an out of body experience and going there by locating. If you want to call it that Ingo Swan, who was kind of like the father of the method of remote viewing for the government and for the public programs back in the 1970s was an amazing out of body traveler. I mean, he was studied in a laboratory for that sort of thing. He wrote a great book called to kiss earth goodbye, where he, traveled out of body to Saturn and Jupiter and his descriptions of the planets when brought back, which scientists said could not be possible, were confirmed by Voyager a couple of years later when Whoa. the space probe got there. So he knew the difference between going out and pulling information in. And it is a difference. Uh, the, there are different methods of remote viewing that came out of the Stargate program. But the basic method, just sitting down, opening your mind, letting yourself be open to pulling information from whatever that target happens to be, it doesn't shift you away from where you are. And in fact, most remote viewers can have great conversations, can be questioned while the process is happening um, so that they can, someone can pull more information out of them.
2: You know, there's this interesting thing that I saw on NASA, and this might seem unrelated, but stick with me, mm-hmm. um, where the electromagnetic field of the Earth and the electromagnetic field of the sun cross. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Every place they cross, it creates an X point. Every X point is a uh, wormhole, basically, like out of science fiction, a uh, shortened distance between time and space. And NASA's got you know probes out there investigating it. This is just strictly science, right? Well, we all have electromagnetic fields around our bodies, and all the trees do, all the plants do. Do you think that that's what we're using to navigate to different places, even though we stay in the same place as we send our consciousness through these wormholes created electromagnetically?
3: Well, the wormhole thing, I think that's, that's just kind of a speculative term right now because they, wormholes actually haven't been proven in science. But what you, may, you bring up a really good, important point. And that is there absolutely is a connection between the Earth's magnetic field and our behavior and our psychic ability. That's been shown in research since the late 1970s by Michael Persinger and other researchers that um, when there are highs and lows shifts in the Earth's magnetic field, which shifts locally quite a bit, we actually can be have certain abilities enhanced or blocked from happening and we do have an electromagnetic field around us it does interact with the earth's magnetic field our brains interact with the earth's magnetic field Uh, we have magnetic particles in our brain and Persinger actually built something called the god helmet or the shakti helmet which simulates changes in the earth's magnetic field which is not a very strong field to begin with and causes people to have visions hallucinations of varying types depending on how the field is kind of triggered in their brains so we have this real connection Plus, human beings may actually have a magnetic sense. Uh, Certain animals, like pigeons and sharks and a number of other animals, actually have a magnetic sensory organ. And we may have some form of that in our brains as well.
2: Right. The shaman use that all the time because they do what they call casting a circle. But basically, it's orienting yourself to the magnetic poles of the earth Mm -hmm. and then putting yourself in the center of that before they do any kind of work. And that's universal with every shamanic practice. There's got to be a reason for it, right?
3: Right. And and people can, you know, we've all met people who suddenly know direction without being told anything. They they can tell where true north is. They're picking up the magnetic field of the earth. And to say that human beings don't do that is ridiculous, considering the fact so many people have done that.
2: Exactly. Exactly. We've got a few minutes left in this segment. What exactly is lucid dreaming? How does it differ from what we've been talking about remote viewing?
3: So lucid dreaming is a very specific type of dream in which you are awake and conscious that you are dreaming while in the dream state. So you are asleep, your body's asleep, you're having a dream, something makes you suddenly aware that you're dreaming. And the nice thing about lucid dreaming is you can just be an observer or you can actually be a controller. So you can actually take control of what you're doing in the dream and even change the dreamscape itself. Uh, people can suddenly you know, fly, they can have superpowers, they can change the reality as they see fit. They can ask, this is an interesting thing, uh, that a number of dream workers have suggested, if you're having a lucid dream and you see something, ask it what it represents. I mean, if you really want to know what the subconscious meaning of things are, in a lucid dream, you're aware you're dreaming, you can actually just ask questions of the rocks and the monsters and the things that are there, and you'll get answers because it's your mind that's doing that. And wow. in that dream, in that state, you can also say, I want to be a remote viewer. <laughs> I want to see about <laughs> um, what's going on uh, across the world at this time. And I want to remember this dream when I wake up. Wow.
2: So so you've got a lot more control when you're in a lucid dream.
3: Right. Uh, and there are ways, us, again, Stephen LaBerge, who I mentioned earlier, has written quite a bit about this subject. He was the the sleep researcher who brought lucid dreaming into the world as an acceptable state, back in the 1970s uh, interestingly enough a couple parapsychologists one in 1911 and one in the 1960s tried writing and talking about the lucid dream state but psychology said oh you're just parapsychologists you don't know anything yeah. and it took took LaBerge actually to finesse that <laughs> without mentioning its past until much later um, and get it accepted and his research has shown that you can actually become lucid in the dream too
2: wow it's it's not not all that common though is it
3: Probably not for people. I've met people who have said, I've had a few lucid dreams in my life, but not a lot. And I've talked to other people who have had lucid dreams occasionally.
2: Well, we're going to have to pick up with this again on the other side. Lloyd and I will be back shortly, so don't leave us now. This is the Science of Magic, your resource to altruistic professionals of science and the esoteric working to create common ground for the betterment of our world. Join our email family to receive our amazing topic-driven episode collections at thescienceofmagic.net.
1: Hi everyone, Rob McConnell here, and I wanted to spend a moment on internet streaming. Everybody has heard about internet streaming, but not many know much about it. Did you know the internet streams just about everything? Movies. From new releases to old classics. TV shows. Almost every show, every episode, and much more. But the question has always been how do you do it? Well, now, thanks to the folks at 123 Ready TV, I have the answer for you.
2: Welcome back. This is the Science of Magic, bringing together gifted people of service to the world. I'm your host, Gwilda Wiecka. What's up in your world? Email me at info@thescienceofmagic.net. Suggest a topic that's on your mind. You're probably not the only one interested. Again, our guest this hour is Director of the Office of Paranormal Investigations, Lloyd Orbach. His website, mindreaders.com. Lloyd, what is the um, difference between daydreams and nightdreams?
3: Well, daydreams were we may be in a light altered state of consciousness, but we are not in that deep state of sleep uh, or actually coming out of that deep state of sleep. So uh, people have daydreams throughout the day, throughout their waking consciousness, and they can still be, you know, kind of in a light altered state, a very relaxed state, um, a distracted state, a dissociative state. But it's really more directed. A daydream is much more directed imagination than a dream that happens when we're sleeping.
2: Um, I've had the experience of having precognitive daydreams. Uh, can you speak to that?
3: Sure. Uh, just opening your mind to kind of speculating to brainstorming can allow you to get additional information coming in. Now, the thing is that when we talk about remote viewing, for example, or any psychic experience, if you just sit quietly for a moment and think of a target, think of something you want to know, and then just let your mind go, let it wander. And note whatever comes in, again, without naming it, at least at first, you will very possibly get some psychic information right off the bat. And if you specifically ask for a little precognitive information, what's going to happen next, you know, where am I going to be in two hours, for example, you very well likely may get that as well.
2: So it it also can be used to connect us with our psychic ability, a daydream as well as a nightdream.
3: Yeah, you know, it, it's interesting that the, the problem, of course, in the daydream situation is that you really have to analyze what was pure imagination and what might have been reality. Because we can, I mean, I can sit down and think about a meeting I'm going to in a few minutes and what the meeting is going to be like. And it may have nothing to do with what the meeting actually is like. and may be not psychic at all. I also might get the information and suddenly in the meeting I realize, oh, my God, my daydream was exactly on point. So it doesn't come with the same kind of uh, quality definer that you get with dreaming, with with actual sleep and dreaming type dreams. Because psych- you're
2: inter- you're interfacing with ordinary reality at the same time you're daydreaming.
3: That's correct. Yeah.
2: You know, here's another interesting thing, shamanically speaking. Again. Um, it was believed or is believed that you, if you can't dream a thing or, you know, daydream a thing even, you can't create it. So the imagination is not only where we get information about our world and, you know, in night dreams, we're deeper into the imagination, but it's also where we create what we want to have happen. Um, have you looked into that?
3: Not specifically. I mean, th- we're talking about the, the magic of intention in some respects. We we can certainly influence our own experience and our own interface with the world around us when we're daydreaming Uh, we can actually do things that creatively that influence us unconsciously and how we react to people and and what we do we can program ourselves for a lot of things that way Um, and we can also use that for the psychic experience as well
2: yeah it's amazing isn't it Uh, how about when we dream of dead loved
3: ones or or not so loved ones (laughs) are are Uh, we really
2: communing with them or is it just allegorical
3: So that's a really interesting area. You know, um, the idea that we get visitations in our dreams from deceased loved ones or, or as you said, not not so loved ones. (laughs) Uh, Again, what's interesting when those happen to people, there are some really interesting things that happen. First of all, people do have dreams or wake up from a dream that someone has just died and come and said goodbye. Mm -hmm. Uh, And then they come to find out that that person actually did die. And what this seems to indicate is one of two things. Either the person was actually kind of dropping by to say goodbye or your ESP while you were sleeping became aware that the person had just died and gave you that sense that the person was there in order to warn you to let you know that was going on. But there's also often a difference in how it feels to people. People say, no, no, the person was actually in my dream. The person interacted with me. I just wasn't, this wasn't a normal dream and it wasn't a normal interaction in a, in a psychic dream. So people can tell the difference when it is a visitation dream. And of course, people who have some sort of mediumistic ability may have those kinds of dreams more frequently where spirit has been trying to contact them while they're conscious, but they were shut down while they were awake and uh, just to prevent too much communication and while right. they're asleep they're a little bit more open
2: wow you know on several occasions i've uh, been woken from a dream of someone and i can still feel and almost see them in the room or sometimes i could smell their aftershave or cologne mm. what's going on there
3: you may this could be a residue from your dream uh, which happens as you're waking up we're in a, something called the hypnagogic state which is a great state by the way to have out-of-body experiences also Mm-hmm. That's a very common state for out-of-body experience. It's a common state for, for unusual imagery from the dream to continue. And, of course, we talk about imagery. That brings up visual stuff. But the fact is that we use all our sensory modalities in the dream state. We hear people talking. We might smell and taste. If you're eating food in a dream, you might actually wake up remembering that you had the taste of a filet mignon in your mouth. Uh, <laughs> so all that continues. On the other hand, when an apparition or or spirit does connect with us, we get more than just the visual. We may get the auditory. We may actually get olfactory. Um, I've had my own experience, which was smell related. Uh, This is a a whole piece of literature uh, where people pick up the cologne or perfume or even body odor of someone who has died. And that's the only experience they have of that apparition of that spirit at all. So it could be one or the other. But we are very psychic in that hypnagogic state, and that's a great time for someone to try to contact us.
2: Do you think our dreams are changing at this particular time? I mean, it's kind of hard to deny that things aren't accelerating, and you know, there's a lot of evolution and devolution, devolution going on. Do you think our dreams are changing?
3: I don't know if the content of our dreams is changing. Certainly how much information we're exposed to has got to be influencing everything um, in us. Uh, we are, in this modern society, exposed to So much more than we were, let's say, 30 years ago. And things change so rapidly that it's got to have an impact on our unconscious and certainly an impact on our dream states.
2: You know, we were talking earlier about how uh, believing something is possible or seeing is believing, basically, mm-hmm. um, uh, enables us to to transcend what were our limitations. How much do you think the fantasyful, uh games and movies and stories that that we've been exposed to from Star Trek on are are having on our ability to conceive of larger realities?
3: Well, I, I, you know, I actually have been involved in teaching courses on pop culture and its influence on consciousness, and it's interesting that science fiction, comic books, especially, um, which is going kind of have generated all these films we're seeing today. But that's our modern mythology: uh, Star Trek, Star Wars. Those are our modern templates for mythology, along with Superman, Captain America, and all the other comic book heroes. And what we've seen in science is an amazing. Creativity, because people were trying to duplicate things they saw in Star Trek. They were inspired by that. A lot of people went into science because of Star Trek. People get inspired by what they read in comic books. And while most comic book fans don't go off in the psychic world, some do. And, I mean, that's kind of how I got into the field of parapsychology is because of comic books and science fiction when I was a kid, uh, seeing that these things tell me that there's much more to humanity, there's more potential... And we should a, a really look into that potential rather than trying to shut ourselves down. So I think that there's, as we're moving into a kind of a science fiction world, as we're seeing more and more of what's going on now, and there's so much debate about consciousness and what it is right now, and that's being explored in, these, in comic books and pop culture and in, in science fiction, I think we're going to see more exploration of this. In fact, um, there's a website that I'm part of that's launching on May the 4th called The Church of Jediism. <laughs> which is of course uh yeah based sort of on star wars uh the philosophy anyway but it's going to be a philosophy based site um and we're going to be offering courses in everything from creativity and mindfulness and meditation to psychic development which all, those are the ones that i put together so um we're trying to use kind of come at this from the pop culture perspective but so many people are interested because of that in ev- nice. spiritual evolution
2: You know, we have about a minute left. What do you think is the single most important thing about working with our dreams?
3: Just to know that you can figure out, you can ask yourself what the dreams actually mean and get answers. And they have meaning for our daily lives and they have meaning for how we relate to other people. Uh, So don't ignore them. They can be very important. They can also be frivolous from time to time and entertaining. (laughs) <laughs> do, do you think that um, by working with our dreams, isn't
2: interpretation kind of an individual thing? But also, like you said, yeah. there's, these, there's these commonalities from our culture and archetypes and that sort of thing. How can we tell the difference between our personal interpretation and one that's more related to the general psyche?
3: The, consider the dream a story. So you look at the story, all the elements in the story Should be taken as a whole, not just individually. Most of those dream dictionaries talk about individual uh, elements or symbols, but really look at the whole thing as a story. And what's the story? What's the lesson? The moral of the story? What's it trying to tell me? And that's the question you really want to look at.
2: Hmm. And is is there any use in um, referring to a dream journal if indeed you are dream interpretation? If indeed you bear in mind that this is just a suggestion to kind of get you going.
3: Uh, I, from that very perspective, I think that's that's fine., uh, in fact, I'd look I'd have like three or four dream dictionaries around and look at the the same object or same symbol in every one of those and see how they differ and see which one triggers something in me.
2: Ah, triangulation it is finest yeah, exactly. <laughs> You've got to love it. Um, and uh, is there multiple purpose dreams? I mean, do we have a dream that's uh, precognizant is and at the same time we're uh, uh, processing that sort of thing?
3: Well, certainly, a lot of precognitive dreams are, very mundane. They have to do with us personally. Mm -hmm. And while they may not be most exciting thing in the world, they would be things for us to watch out for, to kind of consider that are happening in the future.
2: We're going to have to, time flies and we're out of it. Lloyd, thank you so much for being on our program.
3: You're very welcome. Thank you.
2: (laughs) Our guest this hour has been Lloyd Arbuck, author of numerous books, including Psychic Dreaming, the Director of Office of Paranormal Investigations, his website, mindreader.com. This has been the Science of Magic. For in-depth exploration of leading-edge subjects from numerous authorities and viewpoints, join our email family at thescienceofmagic.net. Until next time, dear ones, may you be blessed with knowledge and comforted with love as your dreams come true.